0: This is podcast number four for the Kickstarter campaign for my new album on Wounds and Wonder. And uh, this is a special one because I'm with my my good friend, uh, Lewis Brown, um, also known as Proxy, and uh, the hip-hop artist and and much, much more. We uh, we were hanging out. I got to meet his wife, Tammy, and all his wonderful kids. And we're hoping they'll be quiet during this podcast, but uh, probably not. I can't guarantee so we, that. So, <laughs> so we're going to have fun with this, and true. we're going to have a good conversation. And I just kind of want to tell you a little background about Lewis and I. Uh, we met. We played on a Colorado basketball All-Star team together, where we actually got to travel to the AAU National Championship in Orlando, Florida. Do you remember? Those I remember
1: days? those days,
0: man. And uh, we 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 both looked maybe a little more fit, a little lean. I was gonna say, <laughs> that guy that can't see. That right? right? it's, it's an audio. But uh, I remember we we had jerseys that said balling at Another That's Level." Exactly Do you remember? That. I remember? Wow, Dale. We're going. We're wow. going way back and then um we got to go to college together which was a gift and um and then we um just a little more we We had got to reconnect in the last six months over at a lunch, and we went to the Great Northern in Denver, and this place is known for its chicken pot pies. (laughs) 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 They got a wood fire stove, and this chicken is amazing, but more importantly, the conversation was sizzling about everything that was going on in our nation of this uh, uh, racial crisis, this pain that is sort of, uh, once again, sort of come to the surface of our national and and lives have been lost and pain and tragedy, which we're going to get into in a second. But um, we really connected over our families and over our art and over our career and work. But basically, we we want to be about the work of a deep racial reconciliation, a deep justice, a deep understanding, especially for us, uh, a Christian faith that calls us to see the divine, to see the image of God in every human being. Yes, sir. And, um, so, so I get to talk, uh, we get talking and I, I had just recently kind of written a poem and, and I, I wrote a poem that I called white apathy, which you actually, I talked about on the last podcast. So we're not going to talk about that, but I had given it to Lewis and said, would you, would you, uh, it, it ends with this call to, um, people in my tribe, white folks, to sort of become powerless and listen (laughs) and hear the cries of those who have are facing um pain, daily pain, daily fears. Um and so I asked Lewis, would you rap on this? Would you say like and I I was kinda unrealistic of like, say the top three things that uh white folks need to hear. <laughs> <laughs> only the three. Yeah, only the yeah, three right, I know. <laughs> well I was thinking artistically. I guess we could have went with seven. But um so I'm talking too much already, but just so you know, um, Lewis here, Proxy, he has a wonderful album called Proximus. He has some singles out, newer singles that I love called I'm Magnificent, and then I love Change, uh, and On Change uh, wonderful, wonderful um, uh, rap hip-hop track, and then it has a spoken word poem on the end by a good friend of ours, a poet named Allende out of Denver. So you can check all that out and more of everything, but you also... Do, you also started
1: a music therapy called Life Music Workshops that I hope you would tell us about. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So I have an organization called Group Vigilant that is a music service company. And our intention is to create a space where artists continually serve and then they create. So our mission statement is watch, create, equip. Um, and the, the idea is out of our service, we are motivated to create art that reflects opportunities to make an impact. And then we also create inroads for our fans or followers or listeners to also follow us into our place of service. And then we equip people with music, with, we call them innovations that reflect what we've been doing for the past few years, and then also give them options to be involved. So my last album was specifically targeted to the young and incarcerated, and my work in um, youth detention centers here in Colorado for the last nine years, I've been doing a a ten week at a time um, music therapy and restorative justice group uh, where I go in for two and a half months. Uh, we learn and talk through what they've experienced. We do some um, cognitive behavioral therapy exercises, but then also really dig into some music theory. Um, they learn how to write. Then we get a, a beat produced and. They record their songs there in the facility, and then we mix it, and master it, and, and hand it into their creation. Um, and God is—he's good, man. I've had the chance to do twenty-three of those programs, and we have over forty-five songs produced. And um, these kids are incredible—they're—they're they're literally incredible. They have so much to say um, about not only where they are, where they've been, but where where they're headed. Um, and so that work really informed. Uh, my last album and the whole uh, premise of the album is we are all exquisite tragedies being made magnificent. And so mm-hmm. um really just trying to tell the story of these young people. And so Group Vigilant includes that kind of work, but also what you're talking about, Dale, in our community service and really hearing and building community uh, where, mm-hmm. where you live, you know. Man,
0: now you see why I wanted to talk to this guy. Look at this work. That's, <laughs>
1: That's so important. That's man, thank wonderful. You,
0: thank so you. wonderful. Thank you. So, uh, where we want to jump into is, I, I wrote some questions, and we're just going to kind of see where they lead us. Yes, sir. And uh, we both we we actually just talked for an hour and a half before we started this <laughs> podcast <laughs> and had a great conversation. Well, we didn't record that. We should have pushed record on that one. That. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're going to dive in here and um, just both of us share the conviction, as I said, of. Um, being Christian men who uh, really have been quite heartbroken by Mm -hmm. the actions uh, in our world the last three to four years and what's going on. And sharing that has kind of led us both to say, what can we do together? But what I wanted to hear from you, given your background and long-term work in this is how important and why do you think the church as well as society need to have honest conversations about
1: race? I think that's an essential question, Dale. Um, I think it's of it's inconsequential. Like there is there almost isn't anything more important because um, recently in my studying of the gospel and the scripture, and then specifically some things that were said by Paul in Ephesians, and um, really the work of reconciliation, I've come to understand that God intentionally chose reconciling the Jews and the Gentiles to display for the world his ability to reconcile us to him. And so when I dug through that a little bit more, I understood that God essentially chose the work of racial and cultural reconciliation to show his ability to bring back a people who were completely separated from him. And he basically proved to the world that if he can reconcile these two people groups, who really stand at odds, then he can reconcile us to him.
2: Mm.
1: And so mm. it if he can do that kind of work, why couldn't we as Christians and believers participate, facilitate, and engage in honest conversations mm. about oppression, systemic injustice in a way that produces the heart of God mm. and shows people his priorities mm. and his place in our world? And I think... Mm. We are losing ground as a church when we don't engage in these conversations, Mm -hmm. because essentially so much of scripture just reflects that God is supposed to his work is all about leveling the playing field, bringing people into him, forgiving sin, forgiving iniquity, um, and really really, uh, bringing people back to wholeness. So if, if you only deal with me and I only deal with you in the good places, in the places where it's safe, and then we don't deal with the places where it hurts, then it's really hard for me to hear anything else you have to say about God, mm. faith or church. And so I think it's the church not only is it our responsibility, but it's an opportunity for us to truly reflect the heart of God on these matters by at least engaging in facilitating conversations, let alone doing the hard work. Oh, I just uh, love that. And
0: i it sort of brings up this question for me of what obstacles have you personally encountered from trying to just describe what you did to, to have those conversations?
1: Yeah, it's really tough, man, because um, first and foremost, there is there is a responsibility to forgive that's a tough pill to swallow. So like in high school... Yeah, I'm from Denver, but I live in Southern California. When I went to high school in Southern California, I went to school with a bunch of neo-Nazi skinheads. Mm. In fact, the grandson of the Grand Wizard of the KKK from Utah went to my high school. So I had fights with real, when I saw Charlottesville, that brought back real memories. Like that was real to me. Um, and, And so I've had to choose to intentionally forgive, which is a really hard thing to do. Um, especially mm-hmm. when sometimes people don't say, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, like yeah, they, don't, right. they don't acknowledge <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> like I hurt you, you know what I mean? And so that's one of the hard parts is me getting beyond myself and wanting to engage in a meaningful way and be transparent and vulnerable and honest again, um, knowing that there's the potential that they may not be received. The second piece is... That's huge. It's That's huge. so huge. And it's really hard for people of color or people, women, people who've gone through systemic, systemic injustice or oppression to, to, to deal with that in a meaningful way because mm-hmm. usually what ends up happening is over time you get bitter
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you, you you just you start to hate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really hard to not only engage but even want to engage. Mm-hmm. And so it's really a work... Um, that has to be done very intentionally and it has to continually be done, especially when somebody keeps poking at your wound. You know what I mean? That's right. Nice. And so um, so for me, that that was the first part for me is an obstacle. Mm-hmm. But then the other piece is this whole um, issue of white shame. Mm-hmm. And when you engage in these conversations, how so many of my white brothers and sisters don't know how to talk about it in a way that that they don't they they almost automatically retreat from the conversation because there's a there's almost a shame that comes over them because of what's taken place before and they didn't necessarily do it themselves but they feel shameful because of what happened and they don't know how to rectify it um, and so I was listening to a, um, a, I don't know if it was a TED talk or something but there was another minister who was talking about the difference between shame and guilt. And he said, there's really no realistic remedy in scripture or in, um, mental health or anything, or even in the justice system for shame. Mm. Shame is almost, it's, it's an externally and an internally, uh, imposed feeling, mm. thought and emotion that you, that you wear mm. like clothes. Um, but he said, but there is one for guilt and, you know, biblically, there's a solution for guilt. And even in the justice system, there's there's a solution for guilt. You do mm-hmm. fact finding, you acknowledge what's taken place, and you place guilt where it belongs, and then you mm-hmm. do something about it. And so right. the beauty is in the <laughs> justice system, in law, you know, you have to, the, the hard part is you have to, you know, you do the crime, you do the time. <laughs> but in the gospel, there's actually the ability for someone to save you from your guilt. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm,
1: and so right. all that Christ mm-hmm. has called us to do as Christians, as it relates to our sin against him, mm-hmm. is to acknowledge it and give it to him. And then he basically says, I'll never hold it against you again. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. to me, in these conversations, there has to be that peace where we can help our white brothers and sisters understand it's okay to feel conviction and to feel sorrowful for what's taken place, and even to to apologize for what's happened over the years. But you don't have to carry the shame of mm, that right. because wow. God has the ability to bring forgiveness and reconciliation mm. in the midst of really dealing with the harm that's taken place. But that's a real obstacle because some people, it's just really tough to even get to the point of having that conversation. Oh, yeah. That's, so you've named
0: forgiveness... For some, white shame. For others, and I I imagine when you... There was something else that came out that was quite wonderful of, like, you and your family, you have sort of a history of grammar of talking about these things. (laughs) You know, you sort of inherit that, whereas I have noticed what you said of some, some of my beloved white friends that they don't really have that grammar. Yeah. And so then... They're in that, like, um, you know, like the kind of Steve Carell, awkward white thing. Yeah, man. Where it's like they don't know what to say, they want to say something, and they feel bad again, and it's just this, like, bad spiral for them.
1: And I said this to a friend of mine, it would be better for you to say the wrong thing to me than to not say anything at all. (laughs) Seriously. Because (laughs) if you're making an effort to say, hey, man, that thing that happened in Charlottesville was messed up. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just want to tell you, I think it's messed up. That communicates so much to me in that you're paying attention, you're listening, and you care about what I care about. It's just like if someone lost a baby. If you're with a friend of yours and they had a miscarriage and you're with them and you don't say anything, you don't acknowledge it, things get awkward, they get weird. And then they might feel like, does Dale even remember we just had a miscarriage? He's sitting here talking about his kids and we're going to Chuck E. Cheese and he's not even acknowledging What's happened to us and our child, it's the same thing in these instances. So there's power in even just making the attempt to have a conversation, even if you say the wrong thing, then sometimes just not saying anything at all. That is so helpful. And so, like you said, what what
0: really helped me early on is when you said that every time something, some terrible event happens, it's ripping the cord of your wound back open from all this long history. And so that's so, so helpful to say something, do something, cry, that's uh, right. hug, hugs, uh, whatever. That's right. Um, so that's just, this is so wonderful already. So let me jump into a couple more questions. Um, I uh, So I had recorded on the, the previous track that rolls right into this, our project together. And I it was a little different. I didn't want to talk about shame or guilt. I wanted to talk about apathy. apathy. Yes, sir. And um, for me, it was... I'm always looking to write something that sort of puts a shiver down my spine Hmm. and I don't want to, I don't want to do the cliched thing because artists are supposed to be pushing us forward, you know? And so I was trying to think about every time I, you know, on my phone or on my screen, I see uh, over the last, I have been just boggled in the mind by these police officer shootings on these innocent black men and young and um and so it so i was wondering how can i write about that in an authentic real way and mm-hmm. so that's where i got the like oh yeah it's just become come numb to me it's become apathetic and i hate that so much so that's sort of where I went with it. So I wondered what you were thinking when, because you agreed to the project. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so <were> you? <laughs> what do you think about? I did apathy. that on GP. I did that on relationship because I know you're a good dude. <laughs> <And> then you <laughs> sent me funny. the verse and I was like, wait, hold on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. I'm so what are your thoughts on apathy and the human condition and, and this, this conversation of race that needs to happen?
1: Yeah, I think this is another perfect input for the gospel, like insert the gospel Mm. here, because one of the things that the gospel is really designed to do that God intended was to create passion and compassion for us in places where maybe we didn't have them. You know, if you think about, um, uh, the good Samaritan and people who were caught up in their day-to-day life and they were focused on whatever it was, whether it was where they were headed or the negative negative perception of the person who was beaten and wounded on the side of the road, they didn't have the compassion that they needed in Mm. that moment. But Jesus was very clear that the person who reflected his heart the most was the one who had allowed him Mm. to work and develop compassion in their heart. And so I appreciated your honesty, man, and your Mm. willingness to put it out there to say that there's the potential to become numb to this because it doesn't hit me where it hurts. I don't really have anybody in my family who, who's, you know, was gunned down in Walmart for walking around with a BB gun. I don't have any cousins who've been shot by police because they had a water gun or a pellet gun. Like I've never really experienced that. So even though it kind of sucks to hear that and it's Mm. like, Oh man, that's messed up. It's easy for me to separate myself from that experience. Mm. But in reality The gospel not only calls for us to to see it and call it what it is, but to literally crawl into the situation with somebody and experience it Mm. with them in a way that makes them want to have what we have. Mm. And so... I wow. couldn't, I couldn't help but want to do this song with you, man, because it was such a powerful opportunity. You know.
0: Oh, wow, that's wonderful. That's so much to learn from that. What you just said there, I, I gotta process that. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful, though, that we all need that to, to be human. Almost the, the gospel calls us to a compassion for our his, all our histories.
1: Yes, sir. That's um, exactly
0: right. Uh, that's wonderful. And so then, what I, what I was surprised by was, um, we, you know, we, we have. Uh, we are we work we have work by day and then we're artists by night that's how it rolls for (laughs) both of us so it it was late night files exchanging here and um, and I remember getting this file and I want you to describe for them sort of what I got out of this file because they're about to hear it at the end of this podcast (laughs) okay okay. but um, what I got and then what you did with it and then a little bit of your creative
1: process of why you chose this well and it's funny because if you if you could see us right now Dale looks more like the rapper than I do like (laughs) I just got <laughs> off work, so I don't look like a rapper right now. <laughs> so what I have to do is I come home from work and I change into my rapper clothes, mm-hmm. and then I write. So I didn't change Co- into my rapper clothes. No, that you night. did. We, we, we were supposed to get this done quickly, but we, we had too much fun with the had Too other. much fun. But um, you sent me the song, and I sat on it for a few weeks mm. because I was trying to write a verse, and and I couldn't. Like I just didn't hear it. Um. I, I didn't have a response in rap to that piece because the weight of what you were saying and the cadence of the song, the melody, and all it was saying to me was listen. In fact, the, the last words in your your piece and the song just listen. All that's what I heard, and so I said, well, maybe I can sing on it, but then, like, you don't want to start riffing and doing a bunch of weird stuff after those kind of words. So I remember you and I, when we went to the, the Great Northern, we had lunch and we talked about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And you talked to me about a, a, a tremendous paper you had written that was about his speeches and the role of the gospel and rec- racial reconciliation and these things. And it really challenged me to think for a second about what would Dr. King have said in this moment? So I just jumped on YouTube and searched Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speech. And the speech for for Selma came up immediately. So I just hit play, turned off the lights, and sat back in my seat. And I just heard it in a brand new way in the midst of what's going on in our country right now. And especially in the face of the um, perspective that people have about the church because of our silence and lack of engagement in these matters. Yes, yes. And so I played it, and then I played it again again. And then I played it again, and then I said, if I keep playing this over and over again, then why wouldn't this be a fit for what it is that Dale is trying to communicate mm. to people? Mm. So I downloaded it, and I uh, just sat it on top of the beat, and then I just started to hum. And so then I came in and started to sing in response <laughs> to what I was feeling or hearing him say. Mm. Um and then I literally said, that's enough. And mm. I, I hope to God that this fits the vision <laughs> that my man has for this track. Because I don't have anything better to say than what's being said right now. I love hearing you say that. I
0: love the way you curated it and, and listened. And if, as you, when you hear the track, there, are, it is classic Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. where it is filled with the most beautiful images of not only Christian faith and biblical faith, but poetic cadences and a call to uh, to action in the world. And and one of the lines that just jumps out at you when you're hearing this, along with Lewis's beautiful humming, singing, is, We are on the move now, and no wave of racism will stop us. And I want to ask you, Lewis, to like
1: respond to that and tell me what that verse, what that line means to you. Well, I do a lot of work around um, social engagement and, you know, systemic injustice, and I speak about mass incarceration, some of these things here locally, and frankly, I have gotten tired Mm. because the whole engaging in conversations things has been very difficult. There's been a number of friends who i valued their relationship, but when it comes to this stuff, stonewall, Mm. not knowing how to engage, and honestly, I've gotten tired of trying and i had gotten grown tired of it happening over and over and over again Mm. um and then i i had especially gotten tired of the church's response to it and so when i listened to those when i listened to the speech and in other speeches i was challenged and i was convicted because i said here is a pastor who literally gave his life Mm. in the face of unfathomable challenges. If I think what we're dealing with right now is difficult, I don't know if I would have made it back then. Mm. And for this man to get up and say, we're on the move now,
2: Mm. Mm.
1: challenged and convicted me in a way that made me say, I have to keep going. And not only do I have to keep going, but other people need to hear this message right now, and they got to keep going, too, with the right motivation for why it's important to make these changes. So that was my response, was conviction and then motivation. Oh, man, that's just wonderful. And and so now we, we
0: have, uh, we've done what the artists are supposed to do. We're, we're going to tear down another wall and, and bring people even closer, because I and love... Sir. I love your your sharp criticism of the church and deep love for the church, too. And that's what we need. But I wonder, it's no wave of racism will stop us. Hmm.
1: Do you believe this? Yes. And I say that with hesitance because I see right now how difficult it's been for us to engage in these matters truthfully Mm. and how hardened um, people's ears and hearts are becoming Mm -hmm. and how there are segments and parts of the the big c church who are stepping up to the plate but there's still kind of a lack of a central voice Mm. for for the mainstream christian um faith Mm. that really just puts the faith squarely at odds against what we're seeing and says this is wrong. And and I see how there's a lot of justification for these things through, um, through the eyes of faith um, because mm. people, uh, they so desire um, representation in other places of faith mm, in our country wow. that they're almost willing to excuse some of this stuff. Wow. And so that's been hard for me, but I have faith and I have confidence that the gospel is more powerful than that, that the Holy Spirit is more powerful than that, wow. that God's platform in truth and reconciliation is stronger than any other political platform. And I, I sincerely, I have to, because the times are perilous, man. Wow. And either you believe it or you don't. And so I believe it even when it's hard to believe. Yeah.
0: I I just so appreciate the way you parsed out there. This um, Karl Marx says that the religion was the opiate of the masses, and this is a this is a man who was very critical of the church. But um, you have it parsed of, and and Cornel West does the beautiful thing of saying there's prophetic Christianity and there's Constantinian Christianity, <laughs> and it's a wonderful way of thinking about Constantinian being about political advancement and power. And then prophetic Christianity being about an opposite type of power for yeah, us, mm-hmm. the most vulnerable in our society. And you just parse that so well there of like, we're, we're going to be on the side of this prophetic, this man from Galilee who was absolutely bold uh, with a, a fire in his belly. Right. For for the marginalized, the least, the last. The, we were talking before about Matthew 25. Yes, sir. And I wonder if you'll kind of riff on that for me of how. You were telling me white supremacy is not compatible with Christian faith.
1: Yes, like, it's like old school Mac PC type stuff. Like, it just doesn't fit. <laughs> and it's amazing because we, we I say we as the church, because I'm not one of those critical pointing at the church. I'm a part of the church. I'm mm-hmm. a Christian. But we have found a way to justify some unjustifiable things through religion and through faith by misinterpretation, misunderstanding. <clears throat> misappropriation of Scripture in places. But when you look squarely, not only in what's written in Scripture, but the context in which it was written and the people who it was written about to and for, it doesn't fit. Like, in fact, one of the main reasons why Jesus was murdered was because he came in in the midst of, of a system where there was a hierarchy that was based on your position in society, how much you knew, your gender, all these different things, Mm. that he essentially stepped in the middle of that and said, I actually represent a people that you look down on. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm from Galilee. You guys look (laughs) down on me. And I'm actually going to show you Mm. that valuable things can come from places that you don't value. And I have power. I have authority. I speak Mm. with that power and that authority. I'm intelligent. I'm educated. I know truth. And I'll speak to systems with truth in a way that challenges those systems. Mm. And if you have a beef with it, I'm willing to even lay my life down for (laughs) it. And I'm going to stand up for other people who don't have a voice. I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to heal them. I'm going to mm. love on them. And then I'm even going to be willing to reach out to people who come from positions and places of power and authority and love them, too, because they mm. need it, too. And I'm going to bridge those worlds. And people had a problem with it. Mm. They they, they didn't get it. And they, so much so that they said, I want to kill you for it because right, it right. really doesn't work with how we want life to work. And so it's just so ironic to me that somehow we've chosen that faith. To, to be one of the primary outlets for white supremacist ideology when it's in square contradiction with that philosophy. It just it doesn't fit. No. And so I think, again, this is another opportunity for true Christians, true believers to step up and call that out mm, because absolutely. there's a massive <laughs> movement of young people of color. Who are angry, we were talking about this earlier, angry yes. with the church and they're leaving the faith. Yes, yes. Um, for the black Hebrew Israelites and all these different groups. Yes. Because they don't see a place for them. And yeah. all they hear is the same stuff. And people being unwilling to just call it out for what it And this is an opportunity yeah. for us, man.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's um, the church has been weak on issues of sexuality, science and racism. We have not <laughs> talked enough and yeah. we need to talk yeah. and we need to have real dialogue. Uh, I so appreciate you saying that. And uh, I guess that that leads us to this question that I've had for you is what what do you want to say? To our younger brothers and sisters who are angry, not only with the current sort of social economic climate, but with a a president whose words are very uncareful Mm. and legislation that's being brought forward that is not for the most vulnerable, is not, is is absolutely, once again, anti-Christian values in some of these stands. What do you say to them?
1: The first thing I want to say is I apologize because in my seat, in my position, I you know, as an associate pastor, as a grown up who's moved to the suburbs and all of this, I look a lot like what doesn't love them mm-hmm. and doesn't accept them and doesn't embrace them. Mm-hmm. And really, the only thing that kind of keeps me in that space is my work with young and incarcerated people and then my work in music. Mm-hmm. Outside of those two things, I would probably look even more like what what they hate right now mm. Um, the, the lifestyle that, that they're bucking against. Mm. So I want to first say I'm sorry on behalf of myself and on behalf of the Christian faith, <laughs> because I get it. I understand mm. the anger, the frustration, the hurt, the resentment. I get it. I also want to say that that's not all there is, though. Mm. And unfortunately, we can't do anything to change our current president's Mm -hmm. um, thoughts, his feelings, his cabinet, outside of prayer um, and very strategic action that results in pressure that hopefully Mm -hmm. motivates them to make different decisions. But if we can't still do anything in that place, there's still hope. Mm. And I would just encourage them to not throw the baby completely out with the bathwater in that because this person also says he believes in Jesus, mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't mean that that's reflective of the faith. And just because mm-hmm. thousands of other people before him have said the s- same thing, that doesn't mean that's the whole faith. Yes. yes and yes. I, I just would, I, I would encourage not them, but other people who get it. Mm hmm. To create a space for these kind of conversations, for them to vent, for them to express, and for us to hear and then respond.
0: I, I heard that as a call for more woke people, more everywhere, woke pe-
1: and, and do something with your wakeness. Mm-hmm. Don't just Good. wokeness, whatever you know. What I'm talking about. Don't just be <laughs> woke and twit and tweet and and you know Insta hash and all that jazz. Like do something with it. Create spaces. For conversation and reconciliation. Yes, that's yeah. wonderful. Um, so I
0: want to, I want to let you be practical. What What are some names some things you would say they need to do instead of social media blitzes that we're not sure who we're talking to most times. So
1: literally, right now, me and my wife are in the process of organizing organizing something called Walk Walk in Love, and it's a neighborhood family walk um, in your subdivision where you identify and, and call call your neighborhood out as a place of racial violence free, it's a racial violence free zone. And so wow. what we're asking is our neighbors who care about these matters, they, um, they care about their neighbors and they're willing to do some sort of show. It's not a march, mm. it's not a protest, but it's literally neighbors coming side by side and walking together with their children in a way that they can show their children that we are a community mm-hmm. and we're going to take a couple laps around our block initially to state that this is a racial violence-free zone, to have conversations with each other about what's on each other's heart, get to know each other better, which will then hopefully lead into more intentional mm-hmm. convenings where you invite people over for dinner, you go to their place, you you um, participate and experience a holiday together. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do Cinco de Mayo at an actual Latino celebration and not just going to, you know, Taco Bell. You know what I mean? Maybe you go down to Juneteenth and you Mm -hmm, understand mm -hmm. what that means. Maybe I participate in something that I haven't done before so I can start to experience your culture. So that would be the first is to engage your neighbors in a meaningful way and include your children in it. And then the second, I think education is active. I don't think education Mm -hmm. is passive so i would en- encourage them to continue to read and then share what they're reading that's fantastic you know, read books read articles listen to ted talks and then share with your immediate network online and in person what you're what you're reading what you're learning and how it's influencing you
0: that's fantastic those are fantastic
1: i didn't even have that qu- i'm so glad i asked
0: that question <laughs> <laughs> that you have thought through that and the fredericksons are in for that neighborhood walk amen and amen send brother. us keep us involved in amen. how we can also, get a a wonderful I'll send, you, I'll send and, you And we were just talking about like we can't kinda name it, but the the Atlantic article by Ta-Nehisi Coates yes. just came yeah. out. And um, I know you can you can actually for, for guys like me and you, we both we're gonna listen to it on SoundCloud <laughs> because they actually have it where you can listen to the Atlantic articles. It's wonderful and it's <laughs> wonderfully read. But what a, another example? And your wife is reading the Between Two Worlds yes, right sir. now, yes, and just that all the time. The Michael Eric Dyson
1: books that is coming out. Absolutely, keep reading, keep that pushing. Ryan Stevenson, Stevenson, you know, um, Just Mercy. There's, and Just Mercy is an incredible book because again, it really brings together the crossroads of social justice and, and faith, and the Christian oh, faith in specific. That's um, great. But there's so much. There's so much out there. It's just being willing to read it, and then also to share, yes. which is very uncomfortable to do. But it, when you do it, it's liberating, and it's also educational for the people in your network who aren't doing that as well. That's
0: that's fantastic. And I, you, we've covered so much. Um, this is so wonderful. I have one more question, and I don't even know if it fits anymore. i will edit it out if it doesn't. But uh, what do you say to the white Christians who may be stunned or paralyzed or, what you said, shamed and guilt? or apathetic to this racial crisis?
1: Um, I think the first thing that I would say is I love you um, because you literally will spend eternity with me. Um, I love you and I desire for you to love me too in a way where I can feel your wounds and you can feel mine. Um, I really desire for you to see me beyond this experience in this moment And literally think about the fact that you could sit next to me forever in heaven. Mm. Um, Because at that point, we have nothing but space and time to talk about the goodness of God Mm. and how that completely washes away all of the pain and justice and sin of the world. Mm. And so I would encourage them to try to walk with me in this moment because I want to walk with you. Mm. And I would also encourage them not to feel... That shame, mm. because they don't have anything to be ashamed of, mm. but they have a whole lot of work to do with me mm. to really reflect God's heart in this world. And if, oh. if, they're, if if they can't do it, then we're missing an opportunity. I don't want to be condemning. You shouldn't. We're missing an opportunity, and it's not only just for me and and people like me to find healing it's also there's a beauty that happens when we can walk this thing out together and then come out on the other side and so i would just say i love you i appreciate you and let's let's talk let's engage and if you can't talk to me talk to somebody else who may be feeling and experiencing this in a different way than you
0: and on that note that there's the wonder walking together to reflect god's heart for this world together
2: i want to tell the city of Selma. Tell them, doctor. Today I want to say to the state of Alabama. Yes, sir. Today I want to say to the people of America and the nations of the world that we are not about to turn around. Yes, sir. We are on the move now. Yes, sir. Yes, we are on the move and no wave of racism can stop us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The burning of our churches will not deter us. Yes, sir. The bombing of our homes will not dissuade us. Yes, sir. The beating and killing of our clergymen and young people will not divert us. Yes, sir. The rest and release of their known murderers will not discourage us. We're on the move now. Yes. Sir. Like an idea whose time has come. Yes, sir. Not even the marching of mighty armies can halt us. Yes, sir. We are moving. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking how long will prejudice blind divisions of men? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long, because truth crushed earth will rise again. Yes, sir. Because no lie can live forever. Yes, sir. How long? Not long. How long? Because you shall reap what you sow. Yes. Yes, sir. How long? Not long. Not long? Not long. Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Yes, sir. He's trampling out the village yes, where the fates of are Yes, sir. Are rare for storm. Yes, sir. Yeah. He's loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible Swiss sword. Yes, sir. His truth is marching on. Yes, sir. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is shifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah.